Guys, we are in our summer session, and I am doing something I've never done here before in nine years of being at this church, so I feel very awkward and uncomfortable with it, and so I need to let you know that up front. I don't, I'm not a topical preacher. I love getting a book and studying that book and digging the book of the Bible out and then expositionally or exegetically teaching you. Now, what is expositional? What is exegetical? It means we are looking into the Word of God and we're letting the Word of God teach us. We're coming verse by verse, line by line. We're looking at the author's thoughts to the original audience and what he meant when he wrote it to them. And then the bridge to application and in, 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 in the principles and truth to where it speaks to us today. That's the way God intends for us to study His Word. It's a living Word. It transforms our life. It's not some old, archaic, out-of-date, out-of-touch, irrelevant book. Don't dare buy into the lies of mainstream that wants to feed you that. This book transforms and changes people from the inside out. And this pastor is living proof of that. Many of you have those stories and testimonies when you've come to saving knowledge of Christ. He changed you. I'm not the man I was at age 25. And that's by the grace of God and it's by the Word of God. So with that said, I find myself in an awkward place. And so if it comes across a little awkward, it's because it is for me. And I'm, I'm asking God and leaning wholly and dependently upon Him, as I always do, but even more so in this summer series. We're going through a book that's not necessarily this book, but trust, rest assured, everything that we're taking from this book is coming from the authoritative Word of God. He has simply condensed it for consumption. And I think it's, a, it's important for us as a church to understand these condensed points as opposed to going through all 66 books. Because you know how long it takes for me to go through one book. <laughs> we would never ever even get anywhere close. So, I'm encouraging you to get this. Now, last week I asked for a show of hands if you'd like for me to get a book. And um, I, after this week looking at it, praying about it, I think it's just going to be easier and better if you just purchase your own. Um, Amazon, you can get it cheap. You can go to the bookstore, wherever. But it's called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. It's by Mark Deaver. And I'm encouraging you all, and tonight in your care groups, I've also put that on the list with the uh, leaders to encourage you, if you want to get this and follow along, by all means, get it. Why is this important? Why do I feel led? And again, the song we just, just sang, where he leads, I will follow. I truly believe God has led us to this in the life of our church at this point. Uh, we stand at a, at a unique uh, moment in time in our church. We're seeing an influx of new people coming in. And I'm hearing from some of my senior saints, though I still think they got a lot of go left in them, that they're ready to hand the baton off to the next generation. And guys, they have served faithfully. What you see around here is based upon their commitment to serving Christ and honoring Christ and living for Christ and, and allowing this church to grow to the point that we're at today. And senior saints, I encourage you, keep fighting the good fight of faith. We still need you in the race. But young generation, you better be ready. The baton needs to be handed off at some point. And if we're going to do this as a church, we're going to impact those around us. We're going to impact Lenore and Wayne County and North Carolina and America and the world at large for the cause of Christ. We've got to be invested. We have to have investment in what goes on here. We have to have a say. We have to utilize the gifts that God has given us and the talents and abilities to make a difference for the cause of Christ. And so I want us to understand as a church what God has said we are to do as a church if we're going to run this race and run it well. We need to do it not by the trends of what the latest marketing gurus say you need in a church. Uh, I, I don't want to give you my opinions as to what I think Community Baptist Church needs in the way of opinions. 
All of us have opinions on what we think would make Community Baptist Church better. Now, that's not to say that I'm not uh, against hearing your thoughts or your preferences, but guys, let's leave all of these where they are and what they are, opinions and preferences. I want us to know, and I think you want to know, what does God want from us as a church? What does God say from His Word? Because it's His church. He's the head. And so I encourage us all as we go through this summer study to be open to the Spirit's leading as to what His Word says. And by the way, His Spirit will never speak contrary to the Word. He has written down once for all, and we have this. We have this revelation. We don't need special revelation. We have the revealed truth of God's Word and what He says the church is to be like. And so I want us as we go through the summer to, to look at that, to meditate on it, to think about that. And so that we sort of keep our finger on the pulse as a church family. So that when the baton is eventually handed off, that we don't bobble it or drop it. That we recognize and run this race well. So, nine marks of a healthy church is what we're looking at. And we will be anchored in the Word of God. So if you've got your Bibles, take those. By the way, if you need a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. And if you'll grab that, you can follow along. I think you'll find it a lot easier to follow along. And go to the New Testament, to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And Mark Deaver in his book, he has chosen this passage of Scripture, and I think it's a great place to look at what a healthy church is. You say, what? The Corinthians were some of the most wicked and messed up people. Yeah, don't you feel right at home? I mean, look, guys, look, I'm not sugarcoating it. We are sinners. The world has a misconception about you and me. Guess what? World, I'm not perfect. I mess up. I blow it. I stumble too. Why do you think I'm here? <laughs> I need a Savior. Because I recognize my righteousness is no righteousness at all. Even on my best of best days, my righteousness falls way short of the glory of God. He says, my righteousness is like filthy rags. So I'm not depending on my righteousness. I'm not depending on my good deeds. And if you're here today and you're depending upon your good deeds to get you into heaven one day, guess what? You will fall short. Because the Bible makes it clear. We all fall short of the glory of God. Christians... We dare not think we're better than anyone else. We're not. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. The difference between us and a lost world is the grace of God. I recognize where the saving grace is and it's found in a person. It's found in the person of Christ. He is my Savior. He is my righteousness. He is my redemption. And so I'm wholly and completely dependent upon Him. But He's made a way. And since He's made a way, Wow, who am I to not surrender my life to follow? He's the creator God. He's the one who spoke and gave us life. He is the one who gives us our every breath. He's the one that gives us every beautiful thing we enjoy. Every good thing that we have in our life has come from our Father above. If you don't know Christ today as your Lord and Savior, our invitation to you is that you will come to know the God we serve. There's only one God, and He's revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's a claim of truth that's either true or it's a lie. And if you haven't come to know Him, examine the evidence. Don't take my word for it. Examine the evidence. The evidence doesn't lie. There's an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is historically documented and accurate. And you're here today because of the ripple effect of those eyewitness accounts who saw Jesus in His resurrected form, who sat with Him, talked with Him, ate with Him, and watched Him ascend into heaven. And He made a promise. Just the same way He went away, He's coming back one day. 
And that's fact, guys. You say, oh, yeah, well, you get that from the Bible, and I don't believe the Bible. Guys, there's a lot of outside sources beyond this book that give credit to something crazy happened around this time. Well, we know what that crazy was, and it's crazy good. With that said, we're going to look at the nine marks of a healthy church. So I want to start with a little fun story. Let you listen to this because it may be a little hard to follow. You're not seeing it. It's a little lengthy, but I want to read this. And so, so if you would kind of follow along. As you know, the Word of God teaches that we are part of the body of Christ. As a church, we are part of the body. And the body is made up, 1 Corinthians talks about this, many members, but we all have a different part. Some of you are the ear, some of you are the eye, some of you are the nose, some of you are the big thumb, some of you are... Anyway, that's probably me. <laughs> I just made myself look that way anyway. All right, so, nose in hand is the name of this little story. Follow, follow along if you would. Nose in hand, listen to this. Nose in hand, we're sitting in the church pew, talking. The morning service was led by ear and mouth. And ear and mouth had just ended, and hand was telling nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. Really? Nose responded to hand's news. Why? Oh, I don't know, Hand said, looking down. He was usually slower to speak than other members of the church body. I guess because the church doesn't have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Well, what are you looking for in a church, Nose asked. The tone in which he spoke these words was sympathetic. But even as he was speaking them, he knew he would dismiss Hand's answer. If the hands couldn't see that nose and the rest of the leadership were pointing the church body in the right direction, the body could do without them. Hand had to think before answering. He and Mrs. Hand liked Pastor Mouth and his family. <laughs> they would go there, wouldn't they? And Minister of Music Ear, he meant well. Well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are more like us. Hand finally stammered. We tried spending time uh, with the legs, but we didn't connect with them. Next, we joined the small group for all the toes, <clears throat> but they kept talking about socks and shoes and odors, and that didn't inter interest us. Nose looked at, his, uh, looked at him, this time with genuine dismay. Aren't you glad they're concerned with odors? Sure, sure, but... It's not for us. Then we attended the Sunday school for all your facial features. Do you remember? We came for several Sundays a couple of months ago. It, it was great to have you. Thank you. But everyone just wanted to talk and listen and smell and taste. It, it felt like, well, I, I felt like you never wanted to get to work and, and get your hands dirty. Anyway, Mrs. Han and I were thinking about checking out that new church over on East Side where we hear they do a lot of clapping and hand-raising which is closer to what we need right now. Hmm, Nose replied. <clears throat> I see what you mean. We'd hate to see you go, but I, I guess you have to do what's good for you. At that moment, Mrs. Han, who had been caught up in another conversation, turned back to join her husband and Nose. Han briefly explained that he and Nose had been talking uh, about, um, and, and after that, Nose repeated his sadness at the prospect of losing the hands. But he again said he understood since it sounded like their needs weren't being met. Mrs. Hand nodded in agreement. She wanted to be polite, but truth be told, she wasn't sad to be leaving. Her husband had made just enough critical remarks about the church over the years that her heart had begun to reflect his. No, he had never burst into an open tirade about, against the body. In fact, he usually apologized for being so negative, as he put it, but... <clears throat> the little complaints that he let slip out here and there had an effect. The small groups were a little cliquish. The music was a little out of date. The programs, well, they seemed a little silly. The teaching wasn't entirely to their liking. In the end, it was hard for the two of them to put their fingers on it, but they decided that the church wasn't for them. In addition... To all that, Mrs. Han knew that their daughter, Pinky, 
was not comfortable within the youth group. Everyone was so different from her, she fell out of joint. <laughs> Mrs. Hand then said something about how much she appreciated Nose and the leadership, but the conversation had already run on too long for Nose. Besides, her perfume made him want to sneeze. He thanked Mrs. Hand for her encouragement, repeated that he was sorry to hear of their departure, then turned and walked away. Who needed the hands? Apparently, they didn't need him. Guys, this little story, <clears throat> sad but true. Too often all around us in churches all across America, the differing parts within the body fail to recognize their importance within the body. But more importantly, they fail to recognize and appreciate the other parts around them. One of the things as we go through this series, I want us to keep our eyes completely upon. And that is Jesus Christ. Because I believe what has happened in America is there's been a shift in our approach to church. A shift in the approach to worship. And we have become self-centered, self-absorbed. And so we come to the church looking for what does this church have to offer me? When God has laid out in His Word that this gathering of diverse believers, the hands, the nose, the feet, is that we might work in concert together for the glory of God, that our eyes would be set on Him, the author and finisher of our faith. And so I believe as we go through this that... My prayer is that we will shift focus from self to serving, to serving our Savior. And so with that said, let's take a look uh, at our study this morning. Introduction. These are some of the areas that we will be covering in our study. The first mark of a healthy church, and I'm sorry that is extremely small, but I will read it for you. The first thing that we'll look at next week is expositional preaching. One of the marks of a healthy church is that from the pulpit, from the Sunday school room to the small group, that there is not, as a rule of thumb, topical studies. Now I say that, kind of <laughs> laughing that we are in essence doing a topical study, but you know this is not the norm. Expositional preaching, and this book goes into it, and it's again drawn from the Word of God, the importance of the Word of God. Expositional preaching is a mark of a healthy church. And if you're involved in a church, you're visiting with us today, and your church is not an expositional preaching church, an exegetical teaching church, I encourage you to look at the healthiness and the importance of this, God's Word. The second thing, biblical theology. Again, you don't need my opinions. You don't need a feel-good story on Sunday morning. You need biblical theology. You need to know what the Word of God has to say about who God is. Because when we understand our Creator, when we understand Him more, it transforms us. Eyes on Christ. Biblical theology. That's the mark of a healthy church. We'll also look at uh, the Gospel. Mark 3. Or, uh, this is the third mark of a healthy church. The Gospel. You would be amazed at how many churches do not have the gospel of the Scripture. Jesus loves you. All the little children of the world. That's true, He does. But if that's all I tell you, is that reflective of who God is? Is God just love? Wait a minute, you, you left off the God of the Bible who's just. If your family member was brutally raped and murdered, and the just judge said, I love this guy, go on. Would that be just? Would you feel justified that your family member, this brutal and cruel thing was done, and yet the judge who's supposedly just just says, eh, of course not. We neglect the fact that the God of the Scriptures is a just God. 
He's also a God of wrath. To not tell my neighbor his house is on fire and it's going to collapse and fall in on him? Are you a good neighbor? You stand there. State Farm is there. But, you're, you know, are you going to stand there and watch the house burn and go, <laughs> I love this guy. Love you, neighbor. You think we ought to warn him the house is on fire? No, just love him. Just love him. Really? But guys, we got a lot of churches just, we just got to love them. That's only part of it. So we're going to look at the gospel, the true gospel. Guess what the gospel does? It calls sinners to repentance. When's the last time you heard somebody other than that good old preacher on TV talking about fire, hell, and brimstone? You know, and then we, we kind of throw them out, and sometimes maybe we should. But, you know, look, if they're proclaiming the truth of the gospel, the gospel offers to whosoever will let them come, but they'll never come if there's no repentance. Unless the love of God draw them to repentance, they won't turn from their sin. And so we must proclaim the whole gospel, not just part of the gospel. We're also going to look at a biblical understanding of conversion. We've got this idea in American church that if you just walk the aisle during the 14th verse of the closing song, because everybody's crying because the preacher ended with this story about the dog leaving his mama's house, got run over by a train, and uh, little Johnny's crying, you know. and <laughs> Preacher, that, that touched my heart. I mean, and with this emotional frenzy, and we whip up the music and come on. Come on, come on, you need to come, you need to come. And we beg and plead and, 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 and coerce them into coming forward and praying a prayer. Now repeat this after me. Dear Lord, dear Jesus. No, 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 follow me. Dear Lord, dear, oh, okay, dear Lord. And we lead them in this prayer, and then they, did you pray that prayer? Did you mean it? Praise the Lord. You're saved. You're going to heaven one day. I just popishly declared you. I don't know your heart, but I'm the preacher, and I said if you follow me in this, you'll be saved. Guys, that's a... We go, whoa, scary, scary, scary. Now look, some of you may have been saved that way. But it wasn't because the preacher led you in a prayer. It wasn't because of magic words you repeated. If your emphasis is upon the words you repeated, man, you have missed the gospel. True conversion is just that. It's a transform. It's a change of heart which results in a change of direction, a change of life. And I'm afraid that we live in an apostate day. And the Bible said when we got near the end time, there'd be an apostate day. There'd be a great falling away. That if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. Those that are truly saved, that it, it, I mean, there'd be such a hodgepodge of people and the wheats and the tares growing together that you wouldn't know the difference. And I'm fearful in the churches, especially across America, all you got to do is turn on the TV and see all the heretics and the looniness that's going on under Christianity. No wonder we get such a bad name. So in this study, guys, we're going to return to what does the Bible say a true conversion is? And this is eternally important because if we don't really truly understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, we don't know what it truly means to be born again, to be converted then we may miss heaven by 17 inches. And that's scary. So we're going to look at this. We're also going to look at a biblical understanding of evangelism. Biblical understanding of evangelism. And so I think this will also encourage us and challenge us in how we're doing outreach to make sure we're doing it biblically. We're also going to look at a biblical understanding of church membership. Why, why join a church? I mean, you know, don't see that in the Bible. Church membership required before going to heaven. We don't see that in the Bible. So why is it important? We're going to talk about that because it is important. Just like you don't see the word Trinity spelled out in the Scriptures, it teaches the concept of Trinity. Just because you don't see the word church membership in the Scriptures, it is taught in the Scriptures. And we'll talk about that and why it's important. Biblical church discipline. Wow, this one's gone. This one's, I'm going to show you a quote here in just a second. This is something of yesteryear. You don't see this going on in many churches. I'm thankful that Community Baptist Church is a church that still believes and understands the biblical importance of church discipline. Guys, all you got to do is look around the world today. 
just not, don't worry about church discipline, just think of discipline. Why are we in such a mess? There's no appreciation for authority. Whether it's in society, whether it's in your home, whether it's in the classroom. Have you seen a classroom? Teachers, man, I praise God for you. You are some warriors. Because some of the, the stuff that, that goes on within the classroom, you know, I know not all classrooms, and I understand, I'm not, uh, please understand, I am making broad strokes here. But as a whole in America, there has been a loss of respect within the area of authority. And it's in the three institutions that God ordained. The three institutions that God ordained were the family. Why do you think the home is so divided and under attack? Because the enemy knows. He wants to assault what God has designed. And so he's trying his best to destroy the home. And he does so by destroying the, the, the flow, the ordinance, the roles, the responsibilities. He, he's turned it up ended. Government is another ordained institution that God has made. And look at the governments around the world. And I mean, wow. It's, and, and unless you think it doesn't affect you or me. Guys, the conservatives are lousy when a liberal leads. So let's don't complain about the liberals when a conservative leads. We're called to a different kingdom as followers of Christ. And therefore, we need to live in such a way. We don't have to like policies. We don't have to like, like practices and we must speak out. But we must do so in a way that glorifies God and puts eyes on God, not on man. We must, we'll talk about these things. But church discipline is very important to the health of a church, just like it's very important to the health of a home. And if you've ever seen a home where there's no discipline, you know what I mean. So we're going to look at that. And then Mark 8, the, the, the eighth mark of a healthy church, a concern for discipleship and growth. We're doing a study on Wednesday night on discipleship, and it's important. Guys, if we don't multiply, we die. Community Baptist Church dies if we don't multiply. And so we need to understand what God means in the way of, of, of discipleship and growth. The ninth mark, biblical church leadership. So, okay, I'm not immune to this, guys. What does the Bible say about church leadership? Biblical church leadership. Myself, Pastor Nate. What does the Bible say about our role, our responsibility? Deacons, what does the Bible say about your role and your responsibility? We're going to look at this, again, from a biblical perspective. And it may shake and transform a lot of our thinking in the way church leadership is executed. And so we want to make sure that we're in line with scriptural authority, not man's traditions. And so we'll look at that. This is where we're going. This is the idea. With that said, let's press on. The Belgic Confession. This is dating from 1561. Here's what the church thought in 1561. The followers of Christ that were gathered together in a local church, local this is what they had, this is what they believed. Listen to this. Article 29 of the Belgic Confession says, quote, the marks by which the true church is known are these. If the pure doctrine of the gospel is preached therein, if she maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as instituted by Christ, Lord's table, baptism, if church discipline is exercised in punishing of sin, in short, if all things are managed according to the pure word of God, all things contrary thereto rejected, and Jesus Christ acknowledged as the only head of the church. End quote. That's a good definition of what a healthy church should be exercising and doing. So what is a local church? A local church is a group of Christians. It's a, it's a regular gathering. It's a congregation, wide exercising of affirmation and oversight. The purpose of officially representing Christ and His rule on earth, they gather in His name. The use of preaching and ordinances for these purposes. 
That's what a local church is. That's who we are, Community Baptist Church. This is who we are. 1 Corinthians, two key points when we go through this. And you'll be going through it tonight in your care groups. You'll be more in-depth because for time's sake, uh, leaders, you're probably going to have to unpack a lot of what's in this message today. Or you'll be here to the rapture. So anyway, so let's press on. 1 Corinthians, what the church is supposed to be like and why the church is supposed to be like that. As you read through this week, 1 Corinthians, I want you to think about these two questions, these two key points. What the church is supposed to be like and why the church is supposed to be like that. Because Paul is writing to a messed up church and they got some serious problems. One of the biggest problems he's addressing in the church is that some dude has married his daddy's wife. That's right. This son has married his dad's wife, all right? Stepmom. He's married his stepmom. And instead of it being dealt with as like sin, they're kind of like accepting it and being okay with it. And it's like Paul's writing this letter to address this. And so, look, if you love this people, you need to, you need to deal with these things. Don't celebrate it. And we live in a day where we celebrate sin, in the church. And so Paul addresses this. So as you go through that read, ask these questions. What's, it supposed, what's church supposed to be like? And, and why is it supposed to be like that? So let's take a look what the church is supposed to be like. First thing, it's supposed to be holy. Look, if you would, in 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Notice also in verse 8 what he says. He says in verse 8, "...who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful." by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Guys, the church is called to be holy. We are called to be blameless. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. Who can live up to that standard? Guys, I can never do that, and you can never do that in your strength. It's only by the grace of God. We are found holy and blameless in the person of Christ. As I said earlier, not of our own doings. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're to be separate from the world. That's what holy means. Holy means, let me give you some definition. Look at, well, let's go to 1 Peter 2, 9 real quick. I'm going to throw this thing into another gear. 1 Peter uh, 2, 9. I don't think I have that up there. Okay. Everybody turn there real quick if you would. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Notice what he says. And Nate hit on this in Sunday school, so I was like, man, this is awesome because we did not coordinate during the week, but this is Holy Spirit-led. I love it when, when we're on the same page. Notice, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church, that's us. What are we supposed to be like? We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be separate from the world. The, the word here, ecclesia, it's a Greek word that means called out assembly or congregation. We are called out from the world. If the church wants to make a difference in the world, it must be different from the world. Salt is different from the food it flavors, right? God has called the church to be separate from sin. 1 Peter 1.16 tells us that. We need to embrace fellowship with other believers. That's part of what God has called us together for. That's why the world thinks you're weird. You gather on a Sunday morning. Why? 
We're called out, guys. We're separate from the world in its wisdom, in its practices. We actually believe that this is the Word of God. We actually desire to follow this. That's weird to the world. They don't understand that. But we know why. The Bible says very clearly, God makes it known that the, that the, the foolishness of the gospel is only foolish to those who are perishing. The idea, you, you know this, that when they would victorious over uh, defeating an army, uh, they would march, and times gone by, they would march the defeated troops through the, the, the parade coming home. And those men would be shackled and be coming into town after being defeated. And there would be many people lining the streets cheering. To them, it was a sweet-smelling aroma of victory. But for those being led through defeat and chains, it was bondage. It was death because they were being led to their execution. And the Bible makes that comparison that for those who are being saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. It's victory in Jesus. But the gospel preached to a world that's dying, it's foolish to them and it stinks. It bothers them. They don't like it because it's death. And so we're separate from the world. We're called out. We're a called out congregation. Therefore, the church must be pure. 1 Corinthians 5.13. What's going on here in 1 Corinthians 5.13? We're going to cut this short today because we got a baptism. Anyway, 5.13. Let's take a look. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 13. Make sure I wrote that one down right. All right. But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself the evil person. Paul is writing and he's instructing this church. Remember because this dude that had his mom as his wife now? He's saying, look, if he's going to practice such evil and he's not going to be remorseful or repentant of it, he says, you put that evil person away from you. Why do we do that, church? Why would we dare do that? I thought we are supposed to love them to Jesus. I'm not supposed to judge. Judge not, lest ye be judged. That's what the Bible says. Who are you to judge me? That's, this is the comments of the world, isn't it? This is what the world says up in your face at your workplace. I thought you weren't supposed to judge anybody. <laughs> You're judging me. Uh, so you just judged me in that? Did you really? Anyway. Guys, the Word of God says that we're to do this. Why? Because we're called out. We're separate. We're supposed to be holy. It doesn't mean that we don't have sin, but if we're practicing sin, it must be dealt with. We must love the person enough to tell them. If you're playing in the street... As a kid, mama, daddy, if you love your kid who's playing in the road and he's playing with traffic, that's dangerous. Well, I don't think we should judge him. We'll let God deal with him. I mean, you know, he's not really hurting anybody. That's his life. He's choosing to do that. Would you dare approach the situation that way? Of course not. If you love that kid, you say, Whoa, Johnny, come on, man. You've got to get out of the road. That's dangerous. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get killed. You can't do that. And if you know somebody's practicing a lifestyle of sin, you got to go to them, brother, sister, and say, I love you. You can't do this. This is not becoming of a Christian. I'm telling you, it's, you're going to end up getting hurt. You're going to hurt yourself. It's dangerous. It's a road that leads to death. That's love. And so when this church, and you read through it, and they end up putting him out of the church, they end up putting him out of their midst. Not because they hate the guy, but it's because they love him. And their desire is that he will see once he's outside that, man, I miss my family. I want my family back. I want my right relationship with God more than I want my sin. You see, here's the truth. No other church... Well, I shouldn't say this. That, that, let me walk that one back. That's not true. There's a lot of churches out there that are doing this. A lot. There just needs to be more. There needs to be more. Where they love you enough to warn you to tell you that these things are deadly dangerous. And there needs to be that call to repentance. That's what's going on here. 
and the church must be pure. Why is this important both in the Old Testament and the New Testament? I want to hit this and we're going to get done. Um, Everybody know the story in the Old Testament of, of the Battle of Ai? All right, if you don't, that's okay. We're going to give you a quick synopsis. So here's Israel. They're being led out, man. God is blessing them. They're prospering. They're, they're slaying the Canaanites. They're slaying the, the Jebusites, the termites, the whatever. And, 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 and it's like God is on their side, and there's victory after victory. And then all of a sudden, they come up against this little bitty tiny group of people, a little town called Ai, right? The Battle of L.A., the Battle of LaGrange, you know. It's like this little bitty community of people, and there's this massive amount of Israelites. And they're like, oh, we don't need to send all our troops. We got these guys. And they go in there, and they get their tail handed to them, and they get running away. Ah, they got their tail kicked. All right, this is synopsis, Jeremy's abbreviated version. And they can't understand why they can't beat this little group. Well, we find out in reading the story in Joshua 7, and you can read that on your own, there's this guy named Achan. Oh, my Achan back. <laughs> it's going to be Achan when he gets done. But anyway, this guy Achan, they were told not to touch stuff when they overthrew. He ended up stealing something. And he didn't tell nobody. He didn't even tell his family. He stole something, and he hid it. He hid it in his tent. And the only person that knew was him and God. Guess what? Because of his sin, it affected the whole group of Israel. And then God tells and gives instruction that there's someone in your midst who's done this, and here's what I want you to do. And so they end up bringing it about. And if you read the account, the man begs and says, you know, I, I did it, I did it, I admit it. But you know what? His sin, it's, it's gotten to a point he's not truly repentant. It ends up, it affects not only him, his whole family ends up being stoned to death. You say, well, that's cruel. Guys, that is a judicial system that was set up just like laws are in America today. If somebody commits murder, they sent, they, they're given the death penalty. Now, you may have a view on that one way or the other, but the reality is that was the Israelites' law. Okay, This is the way. Just like if somebody rapes and murders your family member, you're going to want some type of justice carried out. And this was to, again, put the fear of God into the rest of the camp. Because of one man's decision... To practice sin, it affected the whole group. Think about all those thousands of people who died on the field because of the man's sin. And so then you go into the New Testament, there's a story in Acts 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. This is the first New Testament church discipline. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Everybody was selling off stuff and giving goods to the church because the church had some needs. They needed help. And so they were, they were given of their things and selling. And, and so they said, hey, we're going to sell some land. They sold some land. And then they lied about how much they gave. Oh, yeah, we gave it all. Knowing they had kept back some for themselves. Dropped dead in the church. The man did. The wife walks in a little bit later. She drops dead. These are examples in the Old Testament and New Testament that emphasize the importance of the holiness of God, the importance of, of sin and how deadly it is. Guys, it's not that God is a cruel God. It's that God is a loving God and He cares enough for us to know that those guardrails on the mountain road are there for your protection. Hey, there's another guardrail. Let's see if we can take it out. Whoa! I hope you don't drive that way. But some of us drive that way in our reckless life. Oh, yeah, man. Hey, Bible says I shouldn't shack up. Let me go shack up with this girl. Woo! This is my lady. Bible says, oh, I shouldn't be a drunkard. Let me go over to the bar and just booze it up, man, because them guardrails I don't like. I'm my own man. I'm the master of my own ship. Guys, that's the way we live. We may not say it that abruptly, but that is truly how we live. And God's desire for us is for our good, not for our evil. He's the one that gives you breath. He's the one that gives you life. He's the manufacturer. He knows how it ought to operate. And if you want to maximize life, you want your best life now? Uh, I don't want my best life now. I want my best life to come. That's why I'm storing up treasures in heaven. But I tell you what, as I live this life now, I want to make sure I live it in such a way that it is honoring to God. Not perfect, guys. Not perfect. But I want to understand God's call on my life. Well, what do you think of when you think of holiness? 
Maybe you got the wrong idea. Oh, y'all just, you, you Christians, you just don't like to have any fun, man. You know, y'all just kill joys. You just want to put a wet blanket on everything. I can't do nothing as a Christian. Christians don't have no fun. Bed, in bed at 9 o'clock, up at 5. You know? But we do have a crazy idea on what holiness is. We think, oh, to be holy, I must somehow look down on others and be judgmental and, and that we don't, we don't fraternize with the guest. <laughs> We're above you. You know, and the sad thing is there are some people who maybe give off that, and I apologize for those snobs, because that's not a true Christian in that attitude. That's not a true Christian in that attitude. We're beggars, man, who found some bread, and it's satisfying. I found something good to drink. It's eternal life, and that's so great. I got to tell you, and I got to tell you, and I got to tell you, because I want to share this stuff. This is good stuff. Listen, guys, I, I, back in my unsaved days, I, I'll just go ahead and say it. I had a lot of fun in my sin. A lot of fun in my sin. And that season came to a close, and it was an abrupt end in many ways. But I have never lived until I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. There is life, and there is abundant life. It's joyful. Guys, it doesn't mean my... Look, it rains on my house, too. All right? There are some bad days. There are some things in life that come against me in opposition that are so stinky that I just can't stand it. I have problems just like you. So I'm not trying to paint this picture that now that I came to Jesus, everything is rosy. But I will say this. Now that I've come to Jesus, I know exactly where to take my problems. I know exactly where to lay them. I know exactly who's going to see me through it to the other side. That's what we're talking about. What do you think holiness is? It's being separated from the world to follow after Christ. That's bizarre. That's strange in the world in which we live. I desire God's wisdom, not man's wisdom. I'm going to listen to the Word of God before I'm going to listen to Oprah Winfrey. All right, Dr. Phil, I appreciate you, man, but you know that ain't, if it ain't aligned with what God's counsel is, you out the door. That's weird. Because the world's telling you what you need. God has already revealed what we desperately need. And that's His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop it right here. I apologize to my group leaders because you're going to be like, ah, I don't think we got to this point. Question number two. <laughs> Question number three, we didn't get there either. Question number one. So um, if you would... Um, See me afterwards. I'll give you a good, helpful resource that'll help explain some of this. But most of the answers I tried to spell out for you anyway, but uh, we can talk a little bit more about it. So, with that said, that was a, might have been a little bit of a dry sermon, so let me get a little water. Mm. Okay. With that said, we're going to close things out. And um, as you know, uh, a couple weeks back we had our new members class joined, and we had, <coughs> I think, 14 total up front, and excited about that. It was an exciting day, but it was a bittersweet day because one of our people um, that had gone through the class and uh, was excited about coming and being baptized and joining fell sick, and uh, we prayed for her. She uh, had a uh, rough few days, but she's back to good health, and she's been back with us ever since, and so I'm going to invite Ivy Beasley, if she would come up front at this time. And uh, I appreciate this young lady more than you can ever imagine. If you stand right here, please. And she's very shy. She's hating this like my wife would hate this <laughs> uh, as far as being up front. She, she loves the fact that she's joining this church. But uh, anyway, um, I'm going to share this story real quick. As many of you know, my car was giving me crazy problems. And for about a month, two months, and we were at a point, and we were just like, financially, we couldn't afford to get one, but we, we were going to have to get one. And uh, Pastor Dean's like, well, did you clean the, car, the battery cables? I'm like, oh, yeah, well, let me do that. So I got under the hood, and I cleaned the car battery cables. Um, nothing. And it was just one thing after another. One day, I go out, I'm going for physical therapy. For those of you who don't know, she's my PTA, physical therapist assistant, and she was working. She, she would be one. At that time, I never had her. I saw her around the, uh, the room. And, but I never had her personally work, work with me. Well, I'm running late, <laughs> go figure, and I get in the car and the car won't crank. 
And so I got a call and tell them I'm going to be late. Allison's dad happened to be there that morning. They were heading back home. He comes out, he says, pop your hood. He's looking. He says, dude, you're, he didn't say dude, but, you know. He said, your battery cable is loose. I'm like, nah, that's not it. I've jump-started my lawnmower like twice. I've cleaned, you know, the battery cables. It's, it's, that's not the problem. He said, yeah. He tightened it up, fired right up. Okay, I felt like an idiot. That's not what you want your father-in-law, you know. Thank you for that, amen. Y'all see what I got to put up with around here? So, with that said, it cranked, I went there. Well, I don't know if it was because I was late that day or if she was, it was just that designated day for her to have me. And our conversation began because she too had had car problems and was having her car looked at and she was contemplating the idea of maybe a new car purchase. And that's what caused us to start a conversation, so we thought, and from there it led into spiritual things. I never would have dreamed that through that She'd be standing here today, desiring to become a member of this church, and she's going to be following the Lord in believer's baptism. Recommitted her life to Christ and desiring to follow after Him. Guys, God wants to use all of us. Here was a young lady that God had been dealing with and drawing to Himself. Here was a young man who, quite honestly, I was upset that my car was having troubles. You know what? My car can have trouble, and I've even thought about this. I will gladly give up this knee if it brought me to this moment. Because this young lady's soul is worth it. The spiritual growth of this church family is worth it. And I don't know what God's plan is. I don't pretend to know when these day-to-day weird things that happen. I've been reminded, very humbly reminded in this moment, that God has providential appointments for us every day. And let's just be sensitive and let's just be willing to talk about God and the things of God. You never know how he's going to work it. With that said, thank you for being patient with me and sharing that.